Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Week in Politics on the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time our guest is the Labour MP Jess Phillips, the Shadow Minister for Domestic Violence and Safeguarding, along with Byline Times political editor... Adam Bienkoff. And what a week it has been with the resignation of Liz Truss, the mooted return of Boris Johnson to frontline politics and the passing of a hugely illiberal public order bill. Before we get into that, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our must-read monthly newspaper. The latest edition is just out and it is brilliant. And the print edition has exclusive content that you can't access online. We can report without fear or favour because there's no billionaire or shadowy corporation telling us what to say. Our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. Get more details over on our website at bylinetimes.com. That's subscription details, which start at just £3 a month at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Adam Bienkoff and first Jess Phillips. Wow, Jess the week in politics, the week of weeks, I think. I mean, I don't know whether I'm coming or going this week. Things that I did on Monday genuinely feel like a year ago. I walked down and up escalator at Euston and I bumped my car into somebody. I just don't know how the country is coping, frankly. It's been a lot. <laughs> what do you make of the politics, the resignation of Liz Truss. Not a surprise in some ways, but how do we get to a situation where a Prime Minister is announcing her decision to quit after just 43 days in Downing Street? In hindsight, it doesn't seem like a surprise that she resigned as she did. But I think even on Wednesday morning, we had the fracking vote, which ended in total chaos on behalf of the government. But on Wednesday morning, or even Tuesday evening, I didn't think that we would see her resign by the end of the week. It seemed after Wednesday night and the chaos, like she had nowhere to go, whether her chief whip had resigned or not, but was not clear. If you can't even be clear whether you've got the person who's meant to be controlling your party and managing the House of Commons business for you in place or not, you're in total chaos. So it didn't seem surprising after that, but that was only Tuesday night ago. In the last 48 hours, it became incredibly impossible for her to stay. And also the idea that 44 days ago, we would have been saying in 43 days, the prime minister will resign would have seemed shocking. But I think that we got here. I mean, it started a long time ago, didn't it? The sort of degradation of the office of prime minister and the office of the cabinet has been happening for quite some time, as if we degraded the office to the point where it was acceptable for somebody like Liz Truss with the all the ideas. It's not like she lied, to be fair to her. She didn't make it clear throughout the leadership contest what she was going to do to everybody saying it won't work and it's a terrible idea. The fact that it was sort of even allowed to happen in the first place shows the sort of degradation of high office, in my view. Of course, Jess, we have seen previously with the handover of power from Tony Blair to Gordon Brown that Labour can change horses in midstream. I know a lot of Labour MPs now 
are calling for a general election. What's the difference? I mean, the difference is that it changed hands once, which, of course, the Labour Party didn't call for a general election in the changeover of power from David Cameron to Theresa May, for example. And then even Theresa May to Boris Johnson, I don't recall particularly there being the same fervent calls, but I've been elected for seven years and whoever this next person comes in it will be the fifth prime minister in seven years. And admittedly, we have had a number of elections. The Conservative Party decide when they want an election, it seems, in those years, because Theresa May called a completely... There was no reason or particular clamour for the election that she called. She did it out of desire to take a political advantage out of the situation in the Labour Party with Jeremy Corbyn. And then, to be fair to him, the 2019, and this is the last time I'm going to be kind towards Boris Johnson, I think, we were at a stalemate in, in politics in 2019. So there was sort of a reason, I suppose, for calling the election in 2019. But I've been elected seven years. I've stood in three different general elections. And... They have all largely been at the convenience of the Conservative Party rather than what is best for the country. And the Conservative Party cannot can no longer consider the United Kingdom to be its own personal fiefdom to play. The kind of storyline that if a writer were to write it in Game of Thrones, it would be considered to be outlandish. Adam, you've never seen anything like this, have you, in your time as a political correspondent or writer? No, I mean, it's been quite remarkable. And it just seems like everything has been gradually speeding up. You had the sort of the Brexit years, the chaos of that, but it was it's kind of stretched out over a number of years. And the Johnson's premiership died in three years, which, which until recently seemed like a relatively short period of time. <laughs> But Truss seems to have managed in about three weeks for her premiership to completely implode and, and then out in six weeks. So, yeah, it's been quite extraordinary. And, and as Jess said, the events this week in the House of Commons, people scuffling in the, the voting lobbies, minister unsure whether it's a confidence vote or not, right up to the last minute. I've never, ever seen anything like that in, in all the time I've been covering Westminster. Jess, is it true that you saw a Conservative MP being manhandled into the government lobbies during that vote on fracking, which may or may not have been a confidence vote? I should use my language carefully here, but yes, I did see it all. And I wouldn't say manhandled because that does suggest uh, frog-marched is the word I might use, or strong-armed. I've seen some memes on the internet of like people <laughs> thrown around and stuff. He didn't want to go through and he went through and there was a crowd of people around him. There was shouting and swearing. And at one point, a member of parliament was shouting at me to shut up as if it was like, you know, we were in the Queen Vic. It was, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And uh, and bear in mind, I lived through some of the contentious votes, the Brexit votes, where on one occasion... It came down to the wire so much that the Speaker of the House had to cast the vote because it was drawn. So it's not like I haven't lived through difficult and contentious votes on matters of war and peace, on on matters of our constitution that were really tough. But this was something else. It was chaos. And everyone was just shouting, where's the chief whip? Where's the chief whip? And then the rumour goes round that the chief whip has resigned and then she hadn't resigned. I just, honestly, I wouldn't put them in charge of a pot plant. Who did the pushing and who was pushed? 
Alex Stafford was the MP who, I mean, there was a, when I first arrived at the scene, which was, I walked out of the eye lobby where I had been voting, there was a number of MPs actually being like, what's going on? What's going on? We don't know which way to vote because we don't know actually what this vote means, which was entirely decided by the Conservative Party that it might be a confidence vote. The Labour Party did not promote it being a confidence vote. It was a vote about fracking. So there was initially a number of different MPs not knowing what the hell was going on or where they were going, but it became about basically the MP Alex Stafford, the MP for Rother Valley, I think he is. He obviously, he'd spoken in the debates that he didn't believe in fracking. I believe he's spoken out against it. He may have a very particular constituency issue. Fracking is not something that the people of Birmingham Yardley wrote to me about all that much because they're not going to, I very much doubt they're going to be fracking Acox Green. But it was all like crowds of people around him. And he was in distress. Adam, this opens up the possibility now that Boris Johnson might seek to return to frontline politics. And if you read the newspapers that tend to favour Johnson, the suggestion is that there is quite a strong wind behind him. What are what are you hearing? Well, yes, I mean, he is now the, the favourite with the bookies. And it does look like he does have momentum among a certain group of Conservative MPs. And if he does make it to that final round, if it does go to the membership, I think he's got an excellent chance of winning it. I mean, from an from an outsider's perspective, you know, I think it would be utterly bizarre for the Conservative Party to bring Boris Johnson back, you know, just some three months after, after they kicked him out. You know, and remember, they didn't kick him out over some obscure policy difference. You know, this was because they said publicly, you know, dozens of ministers resigned from from his government saying that he was unfit to remain in office. And now for them to come back just a few months later and say, well, actually, we've changed our mind. We think he is fit for office now. You know, I think it would look utterly ludicrous, but that does appear to be where we are. And, you know, there's there may be some good reason for the Conservative MPs deciding this. You know, one poll out today suggests the party could lose every single seat they currently hold in the in the House of Commons were an election held today. So they're in desperate straits. And historically, what has the party done when they're in desperate straits? As they did following Theresa May, they turned to Boris Johnson. But you know, he's not—he's not the politician that he once was. He's not the politician of 2019 where he won a comfortable majority. His ratings are now actually pretty dire. Okay, they're, they're not quite as bad as Liz Truss, but you know, almost no politicians' ratings are quite as bad as Liz Truss. You know, I think you have to look to someone like Vladimir Putin or Prince Andrew to find find someone who the public would less like to have as their prime minister. But he's not popular. There was one poll out today by Opinion. Uh, where he did a runoff between the three likely candidates. And he lost both to Penny Morden and to Rishi Sunak, which suggests that the party is not thinking terribly rationally about this. I mean, it may be the case that he is slightly more effective at, at getting the, the party's core vote out than the other two. I mean, I, so there's some polling that suggests that might be the case, but it's it's a massive risk. And it's pretty clear from some of the catastrophic polls that are out there for the Conservative Party, that the, the public has fundamentally lost trust with the party. And if you're trying to restore that trust, is it sensible to bring someone back who, when you ask the public, well, what is the the first word that you think of when you think of them? They say liar. Um, it just doesn't seem to me to be the most sensible choice. But, you know, th- we are where we are. You know, Adam, when people go on long journeys, maybe nervous flyers who aren't religious, but nevertheless clutch hold of a St. Christopher's medal as an act of superstition. (laughs) It's almost as though the Tories hold Boris Johnson in that kind of regard. You've been telling me for weeks and weeks and weeks that his personal polling with the nation as a whole 
is very low. He is no longer yeah. popular. He isn't the lucky charm that the Tories once thought that he was. But, but, but Conservative members seem to think he is, and some Conservative MPs seem to think he is. Well, the thing is, he never really was. If you actually look at his popularity ratings, they were never great. I mean, he won the 2019 election, and he was actually almost in negative rating terms then. It was just that Jeremy Corbyn and Labour Party's ratings were worse. He sort of got this reputation as being a, a great election winner. But, you know, he, he won against Jeremy Corbyn, who at the time his ratings were pretty dire. And he won against Ken Livingstone, who, whatever his you know achievements early in his career, was pretty much, you know, the public had had enough by at that point, and he was, was not the, the politician he once was. So he's never really been tested in a, in a particularly competitive election before. Jess, what do you make of the possible return of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister? I don't know that there are enough words to express what a ridiculous idea it will appear to the public and how the fact that it is even being conceived of by members of parliament at their lowest poll rating ebb. I've seen some scenes this week and that Liz Truss's premiership is enough to shock you. The idea that members of parliament who I often call my colleagues and have to work alongside would even countenance such a thing makes me think that they not just not fit for office they've given entire leave of their senses he was got rid of mere 15 minutes ago it's like i cannot even i thought it was a joke when i first heard it I was on the Security Bill Committee this week, which finally, which the Security Bill Committee, which I think has had six security ministers in the time that it's been passing through the Commons, you know, nothing important like our national security or anything like that. And it has lived through many ministers and much mayhem. And we completed it this week. And one of the topics for conversation on the Security Bill Committee was the member for Uxbridge and Ryslip and possible security issues around meetings with ex-KGB colonels. I cannot believe that the Conservative... Actually, I can believe that the Conservative Party would be so stupid. I mean, it would be a gift to the Labour Party, is the truth, but I care considerably more about the safety, welfare, security, both economically and actually of my country. So I find it absolutely flabbergasting. If the answer to the question is Boris Johnson, you've asked the wrong question. The perception is, Jess, that he plays well with traditional working class voters who might otherwise vote Labour in the so-called Red Wall constituencies <laughs> of the Midlands and the North. Yeah, that is absolutely the perception. I don't think that that's necessarily an unfair perception. People like famous people, for a start off. Boris Johnson is famous. I think if you were to ask most people in my constituency to pick Penny Morden out of a lineup, they'd probably largely get it wrong. So, you know, I can see that issue. But I don't think that Boris Johnson is particularly popular. I think what Adam says about him being gifted always with delightful opposition has, uh, he's lucky. I'll give him that. No wonder they think he's a St. Christopher. He's a lucky penny. But we're not even talking about six months ago, let alone the Boris Johnson of 2019 or 2016, we are talking about a situation where the Conservative Party, their behaviours 
both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, we wouldn't have Liz Truss without Boris Johnson, is literally hitting people's, every house in my constituency has been negatively affected in some way or another. And I, I just can't imagine why they wouldn't want an entirely clean break, actually. I think it's a failed experiment allowing either Conservative MPs or Conservative Party members to decide anything for the country. And, and it is a sort of live polling while I'm sitting on this. What I can see my emails coming in and every 15 seconds I am currently getting an email from a member of the public calling for a general election. Now, it is flashing as I am talking to you across the screen every 15 seconds at least. Adam, there's been concern voice this week that so much of the political commentary over recent months has been about the changes at the top of government, but not about the impact of those changes on ordinary people, the massive increase in mortgage payments that many people are facing, not entirely as a result of Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget, but unquestionably partly as a result of that. The cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, these issues are around, I suppose, in mainstream media, but the intrigue seems to be much more captivating to so many of the political classes rather than the the very hard choices that many ordinary people are having to make at the moment. Yeah, I think there is a real problem within the Westminster bubble, if you like, where there is always a focus on the personalities and never more so when you have these questions of uh, who's going to be party leader or prime minister. And in some respects, I think that's understandable. It, it is important who, who the prime minister is, and it is important about their character. But I do think there is a, a tendency to kind of overlook the broader issues that people are concerned about. And actually, there's a, a lot of focus now is on the personality of Johnson and, and Truss and, and how Truss lost faith with the, the British people. But that largely wasn't actually to do with her personality or her character. It was to do with policy. It was to do with the fact that her economic policy was a disaster and it, it was hugely damaging to people's livelihoods, threatened their pensions, added hundreds of pounds to their mortgages, also led to rents going up as well. That was what caused the loss of faith in the Conservative Party and the collapse in the Conservative Party. So for the for the Conservatives now to think, oh, well, you know, we just need to get a more charismatic politician. Who, who have we got? We've got Boris Johnson. Let's just get him back. I think that's entirely missing the point. And the collapse in support for the Conservative Party, it's about issues. It's about the fact that the Conservative Party now are seen, rightly or wrongly, as only serving in the interests of wealthier people, largely because of the, the tax measures that, that Truss brought in. But these are policy issues. They're not personality and character issues. I want to draw your attention, Jess, to a tweet by George Monbiot, a very well-respected journalist. And he's been talking about the public order bill that was passed this week pioneered by Suella Braverman, the then Home Secretary. How quickly we forget. Cruella Braverman, as she has sometimes been tagged. And Monbiot draws attention to the serious disruption prevention orders in the bill. Anyone who has taken part in a protest in England and Wales in the previous five years, whether or not they have been convicted of an offence, can be served with a two-year order forbidding them from attending further protests. Like prisoners on probation, they may be required to report to a particular person at a particular place at particular times on particular days, to remain at a particular place for particular periods, and to submit the wearing of an electronic tag. They may not associate with particular persons. 
enter particular areas or use the internet to encourage other people to protest. If you break these terms, you face up to 51 weeks in prison. And this may be a case in point that whilst the political commentators are obsessed with the intrigue, this hugely illiberal law has been passed with very little public discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely shocking, isn't it? And there before the grace of God go I, I have protested variously all my life. I would undoubtedly, certainly when I was a teenager, have been tagged by this law and been forced to wear an ankle tag. And not even just when I was younger, you know, throughout my adult life, I have protested alongside my parents, protested alongside my children. I'm proud to say that. This is unbelievable what has been suggested. Now, it hasn't, just to sort of pick up one point, it hasn't been passed. It passed through the Commons. It will now find its way to the Lords, who, whether you agree with the Lords or not, I cannot see that they're going to let this go through. So it will be back to us, amended and not able to pass into law, I don't think. So there is some reprieve. But yeah, while the world is watching something else, This is the kind of thing I'd expect in China or Russia. Is there a criticism, Jess, of opposition politicians? Is there a criticism of Labour's leadership for not making more of an issue of this? I mean, I'm grateful to George Monbiot for drawing it to my attention. Is this not the kind of illiberal legislation that opposition parties, Labour included, should really be shouting from the rooftops about? Well... I can understand that criticism, but I I think that largely we did. I mean, the clip of Yvette Cooper saying no to this law in the third reading in the Commons of this particular bill has been viewed millions of times. The Labour Party has voted against it at every stage. It's not necessarily in our gift always what sparks interest in the media. And it has been such a circus of late that I'm not entirely sure that there's been bandwidth for pretty much anything else other than economic calamity. And the Labour Party, we have to focus on a huge many things. There, there is many, 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 many things that I think that the Conservative government are getting wrong. But the, the game in town of late has largely been the economics of the situation, as you can understand Look, I don't think it will pass into law. I think it's a nonsense. Funnily enough, one of the things that Suella Braverman did vote for, the people she doesn't think should be ankle tagged. So she's against that protest, but she did vote for people to be able to protest outside abortion clinics where many, many women have said that they found the protests that occur outside there, they find it harassing and offensive. She's fine with that. Don't ankle tag them, but do ankle tag people who are protesting things she doesn't like. And I think I'm right in saying that there is no legislation on its way to ensure that those protests, which are designed to harass and intimidate women going into abortion clinics, that legislation will prevent that now. Well, yes, it has to go through the Lords, just like every other part of the bill. To be honest, who even knows whether the bill will ever come back at the moment? I can't tell you about any piece of legislation with any confidence passing into law because I don't know who the prime minister is. I don't know what their prospectus is going to be. I don't get a say. Neither does anybody else. So that was a real victory. And I have to say more conservative MPs voted with us on a cross party amendment around the abortion issue than voted against. So 
they deserve some credit in that regard, the ones that voted with us with their conscience. But who knows whether that will become law? I can't tell you what will become law anymore, because actually, even if there's a general election in 18 months, legislation takes a huge amount of time to actually get anywhere off the ground. So them even being able to pass any real primary legislation between now and whenever the next election is just seems vanishingly unlikely. Mm. And Adam, this points to the real problem of the political upheaval that we have. People might enjoy turning some of the discomfort of the Conservatives into Twitter memes and so on, but it means paralysis for the government. Well, yeah. It means that for the ordinary people of this country who've got urgent, pressing needs, those needs are not being addressed by government. Yeah, I mean, we got used to paralysis in Parliament, the House of Commons, during the Theresa May years, when it was a hung parliament. And when Boris Johnson won an 80-seat majority in 2019, the perception was, well, that's over now. He's got this relatively large majority and he can get through whatever he wants to get through. But that hasn't proven to be the case because the Conservative Party is so incredibly divided, increasingly divided, that even the most basic pieces of legislation and, and the most straightforward votes are causing problems for the party. Like, the, for instance, the fracking vote this week, which is an opposition day motion, which is normally pretty routine for the government, and it turned into a full-scale farce, which arguably, arguably took down the prime minister. So, yeah, I find it incredibly hard to see how any vaguely contentious piece of legislation is going to get through the House of Commons, whoever becomes the next Conservative Party leader. And if it is Boris Johnson, as the bookie suggested, it may well be, then the party is going to be even more divided than they were under List Trust. There will be a lot of Conservative MPs who are going to be incredibly unhappy about bringing him back and may even decide, as some of them are briefing off of the record and some on the record, decide that they can no longer stay within the party and may either pledge to stand down or even cross the floor to, to join the Labour Party. So I think, yes, we're heading for a period of, of real political paralysis over the, the coming months. Would you expect Conservative MPs to cross the floor to Labour, Jess, if Boris Johnson is re-elected leader? Yes. Um, I don't, don't think I can say any more than that. I, I think that they'd cross the floor to a variety of independent standing down, almost some of them with immediate effect, and also some coming to Labour. Yeah, I, I can totally see that happening. Boris Johnson is a divisive figure in the Conservative Party, that's certainly the case. Uh, I think it will cause a split, a permanent split in their party, actually. If it's not Boris Johnson, there's a potential for a split in their party of the sort of ERG wing. You know, one notes Nigel Farage is across my television screen again. When will that not be the case? One hopes one day. There's all sorts of possible fissures and fractions on the horizon. So the, the idea that even getting to the point where we discuss important legislation, I'm waiting for the Victims Bill, which has been promised to me in every single Queen's speech since the Conservative Party came to power. So that's 12 years I've been waiting for that. The idea that really important things, other than just the most basic passing of a finance bill, is going to get through the commons at the moment is for the birds.
Jess, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Jess's latest book, The Life of an MP, Everything You Really Need to Know About Politics, is out now. I think that's going to need an extra chapter, hasn't it? Uh, thank you, Jess. And thank you also to uh, Adam Bienkoff, Byline Times political editor. And don't forget, if you like this podcast and you want to support us, then please take out a subscription to The Byline Times, our fantastic monthly newspaper. Get full details on subscriptions at bylinetimes.com. Jess, thank you. Adam, thank you. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.